This week, uh, God has led me to a specific text dealing on timing, and it was interesting timing. <laughs> um, I went out this week. I, I don't know if you've ever been in the place where, where you're, you're trying to hear from God, and it's like sometimes you don't know where to find God's voice, and so you, you go through these different things of searching for God. And this is one of those times for me where I just felt like my soul was starving a bit and and I just wanted to hear from God. I just wanted to hear from God. I needed to know and be reminded that he was there and I needed to be reminded of his strength, of his presence, of his power in my life. And so here's what I did. I've been in Phoenix for almost six years and um, I've heard about people mountain biking. So here's what I thought, that I'm gonna go on offer up and get me a nice little mountain bike for, uh, for sale and will and deal. And I got a bike. I got a little helmet. Got the little tights. <laughs> In fact, here's a picture. And no, I'll joke. <laughs> Some of y'all walk out the church so fast. And um, I, I did all of this and thought, man, God, I just, I just want to hear your heart. I need to know that you're here. Packed it up, got to the bottom of the mountain, and my heart was ready just to spend time with God and just to go out away from everybody, leave the phone behind, just speak to me, God. And I got on my bike, I started going. Didn't recognize how out of shape that I am. And about 30 seconds in, praise God, I had a flat tire. <laughs> well, I tried, Lord, you know. <laughs> And I'm not kidding, this was one of those times where I was already exhausted and I was at the end of my rope in terms of, now I need to hear something from you if I'm gonna keep moving forward, God. And I got a flat tire. You know what's crazy about that story? Is that morning, I started a new, I went to the coffee shop early in the morning. It's like, all right, God, where do you want me to start reading? What do you, what do you want from me? And he led me to the book of Job. If you don't know about that book, it's all about suffering. And not that I suffered because I had a flat tire, but this was one event after another that led me to going out to seeking God's face and I couldn't hear him, couldn't see him, couldn't smell him, couldn't taste him. Got a flat tire and I just thought, man, Satan, you stink. Trying to spend time with my savior and he's putting these barriers up, which then kind of told me, all right, what do you have for me, God? There are typically times where for me, it's kind of weird. Sometimes I'll go on drives I just try to listen to God. Sometimes I'll go in my closet. Sometimes I just bend a knee in my office. Sometimes I go out wherever trying to hear from God. One specific place I love to hear from God is on the beach. Specifically San Diego. He just speaks to me differently there. <laughs> and, and I like to go out and I just sit there and I begin to think about how big God is and This time last year, I went on a month sabbatical. I've been at this church for five years, and it was time to take a sabbatical, a time where I can just rest and renew my soul with my family. I left my cell phone behind for about 30 days. You don't recognize how addicted you are to something until it's not tied to your hip. Um, and, And I can hear more clearly, and I went on the beach, and I'm just seeking God. God, I've been at this church for five years. What do you want? What do you want? You want me to keep moving forward? Do they need a new pastor? Do they need a re-energized pastor? 
what kind of sermon series does the church need, what kind of vision, and so I'm just, I'm begging God, and here's what I did if I'm being 100% real with you. I, I wish I could tell you it was so deep, and it was theological, and it was amazing, and you have to be a certain spiritual person in order to do this, but you don't, because I did it, which means you can do it too. Here's basically what I did. So God, he, what do you want from me? Man, God, here is my, here's my life. Here's a blank sheet of my life. I've tried to be the author of my life before, and all I end up was a, with, I end up with a lot of grammatic, grammatic, grammatical errors. Can't even say it, see? <laughs> like, God, when I've tried to become the author of my own life, I mess up all the time. I don't have this together, God. I'm trying, and I, and I don't do it right, and I fail, and I'm not perfect. When I've tried, I have a book filled with errors. Here is a blank sheet. Blank. What do you want from me, God? Just speak to me, please. What do you want? Tell me. Tell me. You ever been there? Just begging God. Just give me some crumbs off your table to keep me going. That's where I was. So I sat there for a long time. I sat there almost just kind of like that. It was just silence, <laughs> and you wait for any sound, and you wonder which one is from God and which one is not. And so I waited, and you hear the sounds of the, the ocean just crashing. It's like you're trying to hear his voice in the midst of the ocean. You hear kids and families running and you're trying to hear his voice. You hear the planes, you try to hear his voice. And finally, finally, here's what I heard him tell me. This was about a year ago. This is it. It's time. I was like, whew, God spoke to me. Man, I sat here and I, I, I was grinding out and I saw your heart. I listened to the kids cry. I listened to all of this and I heard God. He said, it's time. I went home and told my wife, honey, God said, it's time. He spoke to me. She's like, he said, it's time for what? like, dang, I didn't ask him. <laughs> I don't know. Like, he didn't tell me. I guess God didn't think it was time to tell me what it was time for. But he gave me just enough crumbs to keep me going. You ever been there? Just enough crumbs to know that he was there. Just enough crumbs to let me know I didn't know how much I need these crumbs of these words the next year. That was June of last year. Over this next year up until today, to think about what we've walked through as a family and even what you've walked through. You know, we've walked through um, the loss of loved ones. We've walked through illnesses. We've walked through discouragement, depression, anxiety, broken relationships. You look back today and where all of us are standing and where all of us are, if we look back at the last year, uh, and if you're saying your year has been perfect and nothing has been wrong, man, you're, you're awesome. But for most of us, that hasn't been the reality, right? 
For most of us, it's like you hear from God, but there's this brokenness in relationships, and, and somewhere along the way, there are the words that he has given you, but they become so fogged by the reality of life, and you sometimes, if you're not careful, you, you forget to feast on the crumbs of the creator, and you begin to try to feast on the things of this world by making sense of the brokenness in this world. And if you ever try to make sense of the brokenness of this world, then you will be forgetting to feast on the crumbs of the creator. And this is kind of, if I'm being real, like, what does its time mean, God, with all this brokenness in front of me? What do you mean it's time? Time for what? So for the last year, it's been just like, like crumbs. You're, just, you're, you're barely eating, you're barely surviving. Is that real in here today? You understand what I'm talking about? But you keep persevering and you keep being faithful and you keep seeking his heart. You know he's good. And when you're in the valley, you gotta remember the God of the mountaintop. This, this chapter in Ecclesiastes is, is a great one because this chapter um, is a great reminder of who God is and what he's over and how he's in charge and how he's powerful. But not only that, this, this chapter in Ecclesiastes is going to give us basically a summation of what's going to happen in our lives today. What's going to happen in our lives. All of us in here are going to walk through stuff. Here's what's going to happen. Things will happen to you that you didn't bring on to yourself. There's afflictions that will come from outside sources. Then there are the inflictions that we bring on ourselves. We will make bad decisions that will cause this brokenness. Then some people will do things to us that bring this brokenness upon us. And we have to wonder, where are you in the midst of your words, God? Where are you in all of How does this make sense? How are you in control of all of this brokenness? What's crazy about our God is he doesn't have to put all this together in order for it to make sense. He doesn't have to put all these broken pieces together in order for it to make sense to him. He, 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 he is the creator. He is sovereign over, he is in control over chaos. It seems like our culture has lost its way, but guess who's still in full authority? Our creator. And he will always be. And when you look at our culture today, when you look at brokenness, uh, brokenness is a result of going outside of God's design. Brokenness is a result of going outside of God's order. Anytime we choose to go outside of God's design or order, destruction becomes the results. The safest place for you to be, even when it doesn't make any sense, is in the will of God. The safest place, even if you're like, look, I don't want to be here, but I'm in the midst of all of this. This is the will of God, brokenness. Well, look, look it's the safest place for you to be. Because even in the midst of brokenness, if it's his will, there is comfort. And if, where there is comfort, there is confidence. You can go outside the will of God in order to pursue comfort. And if he's not there, you have no confidence. So you seek the heart of God, even if it leads you into the midst of a bunch of brokenness. And even when this doesn't make sense, he is still in control. Even when this doesn't make sense, he is still in the driver's seat. One of the most miserable things I've ever done in my life is take a five and a half hour trip to San Diego with four kids under the age of 11. <laughs> Misery. <laughs> don't, don't, don't believe the cute little you know, movies we see on TV. It ain't like that. <laughs> to hear, are we there yet? 
every 10 minutes. <laughs> to have the kids fighting because their brother and sister is looking out their window. <laughs> you kidding me? Are we there yet? No, I told you, watch three movies, then we'll be there. Are we there yet? No, no, we're not there yet. Are we there? If you ask one more time, you're going to meet Jesus real fast. <laughs> one more time. Ask one more time. Ask one more time. And here's what I say. Look, daddy's driving. Relax and enjoy the ride. Look. God is driving, church. Relax and enjoy the ride. He is in the driver's seat in the midst of all this chaos and brokenness. Solomon in chapter three gives us great insight and great wisdom. And this is gonna apply to all of our lives in here today. Whether you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you're wondering why you're sitting in this room today. There are things in this passage that you will not be able to escape no no matter if you think you are supernatural and superhuman. You will experience all of this in life because what you cannot escape is brokenness. It will find you. It will pursue you. It's a consequence of this broken world. So Solomon says this in verse one, for everything there is a season. In the Hebrew, this would say, for everything there's an appointed season, which means if something is appointed, it means someone has to appoint it. So what he is saying is there's an appointed season. Let me, let me free all of you up today that although when things seem out of control, somebody appointed this and knows it's going on. Who is the appointer? Well, who is in the driver's seat? God is the appointer. So early, very early on, before Solomon begins to unpack the realities of life, he first says, let me first tell you this. Before you get in the car, I want you to know that the driver is safe and sober and powerful. It's going to be okay. You're not going to understand the routes we take. You're not going to understand how fast or slow we go, but trust the driver. Solomon is saying everything has been appointed by the driver. You won't always understand it. You won't always like it. You won't like the pace. You won't like the speed, but trust the driver. You won't like the detours in life, but trust the driver. Because life will bring detours. What may seem like a detour to you is God's perfect sovereign plan. So when he says everything is appointed, uh, what he is saying, I'm going to give you three terms for God's attributes. It's going to be unbelievably important for you today. And the number one, for everything, there is an appointed season. For everything, there, is an, there must be someone who appoints these seasons in our lives. This, this phrase appointed, this is going to po- point to God being omnipotent. This means that God has all power and all authority. Do you understand? God is more powerful than our government. God is more powerful than our president. God is the most powerful being, and one day every knee will bow to our creator. 
He needs no permission to create. He needs no one's opinion. He needs no advice. He needs no counsel. He knows exactly what he is doing. Step number one, before we enter this world of brokenness, there has to be an understanding of who has full power and full authority. When it looks like the culture is winning, Christ is still sovereign because Christ has ultimate power and ultimate authority. Christ does not run out of gas. Christ does not get lost. Christ knows exactly what he's doing and where he's going even when we don't understand. So what Solomon is saying very open on, there is an appointed season. So if I look back in my last year, look back in your last year, God is not surprised or caught off guard or shocked by what you have walked through. And that baby knows it. What do you think about that? I want you just to sit there for a minute. God is not surprised at anything that you have done and walked through in your entire life. God is not surprised at your sin. God is not surprised at your failure. He is not surprised at your addiction. He is not surprised at any of it. He's not caught off guard. He has full power and authority. And he knows every single appointed time, everything you walk through, all the tears, all the anger, all your thoughts, he knows it all and he has all authority and power. And I want you to listen to this, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh. 29 times Solomon mentions a time to. 29 times he gets the point across that God is sovereign over time. He appoints the situation. Satan needs permission from God to attack his children. Read Job. There's nothing that you have experienced that God doesn't know about. Really, pastor, this doesn't make any sense because you don't know my life. Listen to this. God is omnipresent. What does this mean? God is present everywhere. He was present before he created. He will be present after creation. He has always been present. He will always be present. Psalm 139, the psalmist says this, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go up to Sheol, you are there. Where can I flee from your presence, God? You are everywhere. Here's the deep mistake we can make in our theology is thinking that Christ and God are only present at the moment of you surrendering. Do you know that God was present way before you even acknowledged him? A time to weep and a time to laugh. I want you to think about this. For 38 years of my life, I've always extracted God from the most painful memories of my life. For 38 years, I've told myself the story that God has only been present in the good times, but he was nowhere to be found in the hard times. Because sometimes we can, we can think that the presence of pain is the absence of God. I want you to think about your greatest pain in your life. Maybe you were molested, Maybe you were beaten, maybe you were abused, maybe, I don't know what, betrayed and hurt. I want you to think about that moment of injustice and you wondering where God was in that. I'll share my story with you. 
when I, when I was five, I have some heart-shaping moment stories in my, in my, my life. I, I typically tell a handful of stories because these are the ones that shaped my heart, and I didn't know it. It shaped the way I viewed God. It shaped the way I viewed marriage. It shaped the way I viewed myself. I remember I was five years old. My mom was in the kitchen. It was Thanksgiving, and she was preparing a meal all day long from morning to evening, and I'm five years old, and I remember her playing um, music, and I remember James Taylor going on, and I remember, you know, all this stuff, and she's just singing, and she's playing music, and she's cooking. My dad comes home, and he was drunk and high, and I'll never forget, and he starts to yell at my mother, and so I go in the kitchen as a five-year-old to see what's going on. I walk in the kitchen, and I, I remember this story as if it was yesterday, and it was 33 years ago. I walk in, my dad begins to beat my mother, and I'm five, and I'm watching my dad just beat my mother, thinking, what am I supposed to do about this? And there's this overwhelming fear, and there's overwhelming, like, what is going on? What am I supposed to do? And my dad is just beating my mother, and I'm sitting there watching it, and it's probably messing me up as a five-year-old more than I realized it was. Because it wasn't the first time. This has become a normal thing for me, but the fear still struck your heart the same. And then after my dad got tired of beating my mother, he then goes to, to, to the, um, the kitchen table and gets all the food that she has cooked and begins throwing it against the walls in our kitchen, throwing the plates, throwing the bowls. And I'm sitting here at five years old and I'm watching this and I can remember as it was yesterday. And for, for 30-something years, I always asked myself, even as a pastor with three biblical degrees, I've always asked myself, where was God? If God was present... Well, then why didn't my reality match up with my theology? Theology says God loves you. He's there all the time. He's always going to be a protector. My reality is where were you then? Is that okay to get real with you today? Where were you then, God? Forever, I thought that God had hit the eject button out of my life and he wasn't present in those tough times until recently. My heart told me he was never there. But the Bible tells me he's omnipresent, so he has to be there. There's this omnipresence that God is everywhere all the time, always has been, always will be. Then there's God's sovereignty and human free will. And I was like, how did this happen? My dad had free will to be who he was, but where were you, Mr. Protector? (sighs) And I remember that as if it was yesterday. My mother, crying and beaten, My father, drunk and high and angry. The five-year-old, looking with great despair. Where are you, God? Finally, I put God in the story. If I were had to imagine God was there, and he was, and it's hard for us to comprehend this, you know where God was? God had his arm around me, grieving Grieving at how human free will has caused this great destruction, how, how, how when man puts the pen in his own life and tries to do what seems right in his own eyes, it always leads to pain and destruction. God grieving the free will. But God in his great sovereignty, where was God? Well, he was there because I'm here today. I'm here today at 38 years old. I'm here today. So God was there protecting me, saying, Satan will not have the last word with your life. 
And I made a lot of poor decisions after that because I was seeking to make sense of my brokenness, man. I, I made a lot of poor decisions with drugs and gangs and drinking, a lot of poor decisions. But some reason in that deep pain, God was there and he preserved my life. And if you're wondering if that's true for you today, you're here today, aren't you? You're here today. And he's not done writing your story. Just because chapter one isn't written the way you want it to be written, he's not done writing the book. You're here today, and he's still the author. He's still the creator. He can make the great edits out of our lives. Your great pain. Oh, he was there. Now think about this. Think about your greatest failure. You know that thing that haunts you all the time? The thing that you're terrified about, the thing that if we were to put on the screen right now about you personally, you, you, you and I would be like, oh. And look, here's the thing. I don't care how um, pretty you look coming in today or how handsome. Don't care if you got Gucci on or Prada on. We all got something. We all have sin. We all have brokenness. We're all in need of a savior. And there's that something, man, that the enemy uses that he doesn't let us forget. It's a thorn in the side that humbles us because we're so embarrassed that our hearts went there. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about, place yourself in that moment of failure. Maybe it was at a bar somewhere. Maybe it was in a a bedroom. Maybe it was, I don't know where it was, that moment of failure. And you probably always thought that God ejected himself from you because you were filled with sin. But the truth is God never ejected himself from you because you were imperfect. God saw such a great need in you and in your soul that he sent his son. He pursued you. He didn't eject himself from He pursued you. Put God in that moment. You know where God was in your greatest moment of failure? He was grieving, but he was present, but he was grieving over the fact that we would allow our hearts to pursue something other than God. Because he knew the pain that it would cause us and he knew how Satan would continually whisper that failure in our ear, didn't, doesn't he? But you know what I mean, man? You know Satan will whisper. He will tell you you are nothing. He will tell you you are a failure. He will tell you you will never be better. He will tell you that we'll find out. It's like a trap. It's like he never lets you free. And even as a Christian, it's like you're a bird in a cage. You're still not fully free because you have this thing over you. I'm just telling you, like, look, God wants you to be let out of that cage and be a bird who experiences his full freedom. And understand that you are not partially forgiven. You are fully forgiven. There is no partial forgiveness in the kingdom of God. There's full forgiveness, which means the whispering doesn't come from God. He was there. I have four kids. The fourth one is the hardest. My four-year-old is, is, listen, if I can channel his inner whatever is going on in him, he'll change the world. I don't know what's up with the dude right now. My man has a mind of his own. Here's what he does. He'll go to me and ask me for candy or cookies, or, and I'll say, no. Oh, why not? Because <laughs> well, it's six in the morning and you're four. <laughs> you're not my dad. I'm going to go ask mom. Like, well, I'm not sure I am your dad then. Whatever. <laughs> he goes to his mom. And she's like, what did dad say? He said, no. Well, then the answer is no. Ah, uh-huh. you're not my mom either. At this point, I don't know what to do. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do with them? 
give him talkies and send him to his room. I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> then all of a sudden, it's like 30 minutes later, like, where, where is he? <laughs> you know, you know, some of you are that kid. You know what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> you didn't get the answer I wanted. I would do it anyway. God. And I found him under his train table. And all you hear is like rappers. <laughs> like a little rat. I said, dude, what are you doing? Come out. He comes out. He's angry and just food all over him. And he's, he's angry because he got caught. I was like, what are you, what are you doing? Well, I'm, you said no, so I did it myself. I'm like, look, dude, it's not the way it works here. You can't just, I say no, so you do it yourself. You want, full you want to pay bills? You want full authority? What do you want? And so we have to discipline him. And, and this kid does it, like, it's not one time. He does it a lot. A lot. He loves to do his own thing. He loves disobedience. But I'll tell you, no matter how many times that kid has hid with candy and food and done things that he wasn't supposed to do. I have never thought about ejecting him out of my presence or my life. Never. In fact, we still keep Oreos in the pantry knowing that little sucker was still one. <laughs> I have four kids. One day they're going to make their own decisions. They're doing it now, and they won't always be the best decisions. Nowhere in my mind do I have a category for ejecting them out of my presence. Nowhere. I don't send them out of my house or out of my sight because they keep disobeying me. In fact, if I'm being real with you, my son's in here, and I don't want him to use this and abuse this, but I have a bucket of grace ready to pour on them when they fell. God will not eject you from his presence when you're caught eating Oreos. You know what I'm saying? Sure, there are consequences. I know the legalists are like, well, tell them there are consequences, pastor. <sighs> yes, there are consequences. We know that. But I'm talking about the goodness of our God right now. And I'm not lowering the standard of holiness and obedience, but I'm opening the window of grace and I want you to taste of his goodness that you will never be ejected from him when you are a child of God. There is a bucket of grace that's waiting for you and you will fail and he will be present. You will run and he will wait. You will re repent and he will embrace. That's our God. Never, ever will he eject you from his presence. So, the, so when Solomon is clearly saying, listen, when there's great pain, when there's a time to, to weep and a time to laugh, God is there. He's not just a God of success and the God of achievements. He's a God of failures and a God of pain. He's that good. And the last thing I would tell you about our God is he's omniscient. 
If God is, is, is through his word, through the Holy Spirit, telling us, look, you're going to weep, you're going to mourn, you're going to die, you're going to be born. If he's telling us all this, what is it saying? He knows everything. He knows everything. He knows every thought, every word. He knows everything. He knew you would make the decisions you were going to make, and he still sent his son for you. He knows everything. He knows you will steal the Oreos and run to the places you shouldn't run, and he still lets you have the Oreos. He knows everything about you. And he loves you and desires you. He knows everything. Six years ago, speaking of God knowing everything, I was a college pastor and a football chaplain for the University of Arkansas Razorbacks. And it was, it was a dream job because I basically um, was, a, was a chaplain for the sports teams. And I, you know, the hardest decision I ever had to make as a college pastor was which coffee shop am I going to go to today? It was ama- I got paid for it. It was amazing. Then God began to stir my heart with my wife. And we knew he was going to move us. We just, you know how you know, you don't know what God's going to do, but you know he's going to do something. It was one of those moments. He stirred our hearts for six months or so, and then this church called. And so um, here's what we did. Before this church offered me the job, listen how stupid this was. I quit my job without having a job with a family. So stupid. Unless you were walking by faith and not by sight. So we picked up our family. We moved here with no job. We moved here with no job. And listen what happened next. North Phoenix Baptist Church said, hey, we're going to vote you in now to be our pastor. So what does this mean? Well, it means you preach a sermon. And if we think you're good enough, we'll say you can come. If you suck, you go off the road. <laughs> Great. Do you imagine how nervous I was? Like, are you, my family's, are you, my, 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 my living and my food on the table is going to be dependent on how I preach a sermon? That's pretty scary. It's like, man, Baptists do some weird things. So here's what I did. I came up, preached my little heart out. And they said, all right, now you're going to sit down and we're going to sing a song. And we're going to vote on you. I'm like, this is so weird. Like, you want me to leave the room? I'm like, no, you're going to sit right there. We're going to vote on you. I'm like, okay. So everyone's singing a song. And I look around. It's like, you people didn't have a care in the world. Like, yeah, he is good. Like, yeah, you know, your job's not dependent on this, right? <laughs> and so came up, hey, congratulations, we, we, we voted you in. <laughs> I was like, oh, praise God. Like, can a brother get a free meal after this or something? I mean, it's, um... <laughs> so, then, so then what we did next was I just thought, man, this, this church is on 40 acres, um, 350,000 square feet. I thought we, we need a plan to reach the city. In case you didn't know, um, Phoenix is ranked 89th out of 96 least Bible-minded cities in America. And that's what drove me here. I like running into hard things. I don't know why I'm wired. I just, why, I wonder, it's interesting how God works. Let me just share, you know, it's like God used the pain I had as a child, what the enemy intended for harm, God has been using for good. So he's gave me a lot of endurance to endure pain for his glory. And, and so um, we come, endured some pain, 
the last six years, and we put a team together and start saying, here, here's our strategy. Um, here's what we're going to do. Number one, we're going to focus on preschool kids and student and college students. We're going to be the best that we can be for families and for college students. We're going to reach as many as we can reach. We're going to love them for the name of Jesus. Number two, we're going to create something called the Hope Center. We dedicated 15,000 square feet to a place called the Hope Center where we serve people with dignity in need. Uh, there's ESL, there's refugee help, there's a barber shop, there's a clothing store, um, it's all free, a food pantry, counseling, the list goes on. So far in, in this year, since January, we've served 18,000 people through the Hope Center. Like, that's amazing. And, and you as a church... You as a church have got around that and rallied and donated and supported and served, and it's been unreal. The third thing is, um, as, as, a, as an evangelist, I knew God has, has gifted me and called me to be an evangelist, and I knew that, man, we, we want to see people saved, but that, but that wasn't enough. Seeing people saved is like the I do moment. Now that this relationship, I always tell our staff, like, we're called to cast the net, God will bring the fish, and we fillet them. And so what that means is I deeply desire to see people come to know God and to walk in faith with God and to have this call with him and to know him on a deeper level. And so we, were, we want to plug in everybody and, and make sure everybody is seen. The fourth thing was, um, was uh, focusing on our facilities. I'm so grateful for these facilities and the sacrifice that was made to put these facilities here. Um, these facilities were put here in the 70s and 80s. And you can tell things age. I was born in the 80s. Things age, okay? <laughs> they just age. And so our buildings are aging. And in fact, it, it, it costs a lot of money to put Band-Aids on deeper problems with these buildings. And when you look at long term, I feel like as your pastor, it's not, we're not being good stewards if we keep, keep putting Band-Aids on bigger problems. And I'm very thankful for the giving in this church, and, and I'm very thankful for your sacrifice. And, and what God has done, be very clear, has, has been pretty incredible. Um, you know, over the last six years, I think we have about 3,000 new members. We've seen God just do crazy things, and, and financially, we're in, we're in a great place, and numerically, and, and things are happening, lives are being changed. All, this is all about lives being changed. This is what it's all about, in case you can't tell from my heartbeat when I preach. I want people to know Jesus. I want as many people to know Jesus as, as, as they can here in Central and Bethany. Be very clear, um, I'm not leaving the church. <laughs> I saw someone crying over there. And I thought, let me, should I say it right now? Should I, let them, or should I let them keep crying? I didn't want to do that to you. Um, not, we're not leaving the church, but, but I recognize that, man, um, God is not done moving. So here's what happened. Six months ago, and I want you to hear this. If you can be still, then you'll know where the church is going. Then we'll be done after I read this. But six months ago, God led us to form a steering committee comprised of the executive team and elder leadership. During this time, we prayed and sought God for his direction regarding bold step number four in our strategic plan as it related to our facilities. We discussed the vision of our church what God has been doing over the last four or five years, how we have grown, how we've seen God bless it, and what God would have us do going forward as we continue to fulfill this vision and strategy. What steps will God have us take? Um, the steering committee doesn't have all the answers. We've been praying for six months, God, what do you want us to do? You're moving in a mighty way and we don't want to be in the way. This, this, this whole thing is not about Pastor Noe, David, 
There's not any other name this morning or ever that we want to lift high than above the name of Jesus. My desire for this church, no matter how long I'm here or who has been here and hasn't been here, my desire for this church is that North Phoenix will always be marked by the fingerprints of God. I don't care who's the pastor. May this church always be marked by the fingerprints of God. May people look at this church and say, God is moving, God is mighty, and God is powerful. That is my deep, deep, deep desire. So we have sought his face, we have prayed, and we have brainstormed, God, what is next? And we're confident he is calling us to take this next step and to focus on this. And let me just share with you, uh, we don't have any plans yet. But I'm going to keep you well informed about what God is going to be doing. You know, our buildings are outdated, uh, worn out in many respects. And let's just be transparent and honest. Um, uh, Many of you have shared this with me. um, But when you drive by, uh, what's happening inside doesn't match what the church looks like on the outside. Let's just be transparent there. And... um, We feel a growing need to develop a program to update our facilities and infrastructure overall. And through this early step, we do have an overwhelming sense that we need to be good stewards regarding this property as we continue our focus to reach people. 350,000 square feet on 40 acres. How can we use what we have to impact people for Jesus Christ? That's the question on the table. Let me be clear, we don't have a plan yet. We're just getting started. But over the next several months, many of you will be asked to serve on a committee to address a specific area of focus within this process as we do the following. So very soon, we'll start calling some of you to help us join these teams. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to start focusing on, we're going to enter a period of evaluation. We're going to develop options. We're going to conduct a feasibility study and pray for God's leadership over us. This means, it means we'll look at all options and we're going to be faithful stewards. We're going to look at all options. So here's what this means. When I say look at all options, here's what we're going to do. God, you have always written a story at North Phoenix Baptist Church for 75 years. Here's what we're doing. We're getting before God on the beach and say, keep writing the story of North Phoenix Baptist Church. Here's the pen. We'll get out of the way and you do what only you can do, God which means we are sold out, we are surrendered, and we are saying everything is yours. You write it, you do it, it's all you. We only want it if you want it, God. That's what we're doing here. That's the process we're entering. So here's what this means. It means we gotta consider everything that's on the table in order for us to be faithful stewards. So should we consider selling some of the property? As I shared with you, many of you, Bethany Home and Central is our home. We would not move from this location. I think this location is a prime location to reach this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would not move from this location. We're not going to move from here, but we have to be honest. You have seen it. I have seen it. We have property that has been underutilized, and we need to be good stewards of what God has provided and consider how to best utilize this property into the future, which may. Remember, keyword, which may mean include selling some of the property. We will more specifically review our current facilities and develop a plan for updating and remodeling our facilities, making sure we have assigned space properly to continue the execute of our strategic plan, and we will conduct a feasible feasibility study regarding options and cost. I'm going to say this again because it's really important. Today, we do not have a plan or answers to many questions that are obvious. 
but I do not want you to hear from someone else that North Phoenix is planning or considering doing this or that. But want you to, to know from myself and others who will lead in this project that you will be kept informed along the way as we develop our plans. And after we have completed our work, we will come back to the church with an informed position and recommendation on a path forward. So we will put a team together, we will do studies, we will not make any decisions until I come before you, the church. You look forward to hearing from me every six to eight weeks so you can know where we are as we are doing this study. But rest assured, we will be diligent as we seek God's will, his guidance, and his plan in developing the path forward. We ask you to be in prayer for the steering committee, the ones who will step forward and volunteer to serve on committees within this project. And please pray that God will give me as your pastor wisdom and discernment to follow him. Listen, uh, some of you have known me for the last six years. I think I can say this transparently. I am desperate to experience the power and presence of God. I am absolutely desperate. I don't just want to preach and read about this God. I want to experience him. And the best way we can experience him is by getting out of the way and letting him write the story. So pray for me. Because as you know, in case you haven't known that Where there are blessings, there are also bullseyes. And I believe that uh, my family and I would need prayer as we walk through this. No doubt the enemy is going to attack us. And I covet your prayers. I covet your prayers deeply and I believe God is going to do something great. Be kind to each other. Love each other well. Let's lock arms together. And let's be part of a great God story together. Where there's no superhero but the name of Jesus. That no one's name is in the story but the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only name we want glorified this morning. It's the only name that brings power. It's the only name that brings comfort. It's the only name that brings salvation. And for such a broken world, there's a deep, deep need for the name of Jesus. Many people are dealing with the brokenness of our culture and the brokenness of our world. And what I'm asking you to lock arms with me to do is say, help people make sense of all this and help them to know that there's a savior and a creator and a powerful, powerful God who loves them in the midst of all this brokenness. Would you lock arms with me and would you help us do that? I didn't know what to do last January when God said it's time. You know, if you're not careful, you try to, you try to fabricate stuff and make things happen outside of God's will. So I just, I don't know what that means. I'm going to wait on you. And then about three months later, I get a phone call from someone beyond, I don't even know how they got my number. And I didn't answer because I don't answer numbers. You know, just a random number comes up. And so I, the voicemail popped up and I listened to it with my wife. And this person said, hey, Pastor Noe, I was in my quiet time this morning and I just felt like God told me to tell you it's time. It's time for what? Did he tell you what it's time for? And then so then you begin your heart to recognize, "Uh uh-oh, God is doing something but I still don't know what. And little by little, God began to put this, you know, 40 acres and and you kind of look at it, if you've ever moved forward in faith and it's been a Red Sea moment, you ever been there? Like, a God, I know you're saying to do this, but how is this gonna get done? It's like God leads us to Red Sea moments that we can't part ourselves so that we move out of the way. And when he parts it, everyone knows who parted the sea. One of those moments. It came to this Red Sea moment, both step number four, it's like, how is this gonna happen? And so here's what I began to do. I, I had a meeting with two of our head elders 
we meet often and talk about the different things in the church. And here's what I did. Man, I, I wanted to present this to them, but I needed to be methodical about it. I needed to know that I've heard, them to know that I heard from God. And so I write all these notes down in my notebook and I, you know, come in the meeting, like, oh my, I got something to say to them, you know, I'm coming in and then we sit down and, and our head elder starts to tell a story. And to be transparent, I'm like, land a plane so I can share what I got to share now. And he's telling the story. I don't know where he's going with it. The plane's kind of going in circles, running out of gas. I'm like, where is he going with the story? And he says, I say all of this to say, pastor, I believe it's time. I thought. So I took my little bitty man-made notes. I was like, all right, I got something to share with you. Here's what God has been doing. So church, I tell you, when we walk forward, it's not flippantly. We walk forward following the Holy Spirit. And I think, I fully believe as your pastor, I fully, fully believe that if we are patient and if we are faithful and we follow his lead, we're going to be part of something great together because God will be doing it. So that's where we are today. We're going to need you to be patient as we continue to let him define what this means. I'm gonna ask Pastor John Shillington, where did he go? There you are, like a ninja, you were just here. Pastor John Shillington has really been a spiritual mentor of mine, been here about 40 years, but I'm just gonna ask you to pray over the entire process. You've been here for such a long time, you got saved here and you got, I'm gonna let you share, but God has done so many great things here and um, I'm gonna hand it off to you. Aren't you glad he's our pastor? Man. I, I first walked in the doors of North Phoenix Baptist Church in 1966. I was a high school kid, and I was with a young lady that I would have gone anywhere to be with, so I came to church with her. Uh, 1968, as a senior in high school, I trusted Christ at North Phoenix Baptist Church with Patty's help and with this church's help. 1969, I was baptized at North Phoenix Baptist Church. In 1972, Patty and I were married at North Phoenix Baptist Church. I surrendered to the ministry through this church. And then in 1983, the church called us back to become their worship pastor. And for just beginning our 40th year here on the staff, uh, to walk with you as God moves and seen a lot of great things. We've invested a lot of our life at North Phoenix. And North Phoenix has invested even more in me and in my family. So we love this church. When I met Pastor Noe six years ago, I was gonna resign and say, hey, you don't need me. And he said, would you stay with me, lock arms with me and help me as we walk forward. And the, the thing that I heard about or learned about Noe very quickly, this young guy hears God and follows him. And he's not afraid to take bold steps to do what God calls him to do. And I got excited then and said, man, I'm, I'm getting close to 70 at that point and I'm ready to stay on and help with that, whatever he needs. Today, I've never been more convinced in my life that what Pastor Noe is leading us to do is the next step. It's time to see God, what's in the way if there's anything physically in the way or spiritually in the way that's keeping us from being everything you want us to be, 
Help us to address that. And so as we pray, I think for you and I, the the thing that it's time for starting right now is to pray. God, what do you want us to do? What do you want me to do? How can I help? Be with our pastor as he follows the Lord. Be with this team of people who are helping move us forward. And let's just commit ourselves to pray. And I'm going to start that this morning by praying for pastor, praying for us. And let's you and I commit together that whatever God wants us to do, we'll pray that we'll understand and follow and be faithful and committed to his cause. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are this morning. We've sung about what an awesome God you are. We've sung about uh, that this is your church and that we are depending on you and asking you to build your church. You've shared a message with us through our pastor that reminds us that you're always in control. You're an awesome God, sustainer and creator of all life. And we trust you because of your love. You've sent Jesus to give us the the ability to relate to you, to be saved by your grace and to follow you and spend eternity with you. And now as we come to this time, our prayer is that you would be with Pastor Noe. Keep him pure. Lord, protect him. And we pray every day for that. Keep him strong. It's hard to lead in this culture. It's hard to take a stand when everybody questions what you're doing. So keep him strong and keep him close to you. Keep him sensitive to the leadership of your spirit. And it's amazing how when you lead him, it's so clear that it's your leadership in his life and his heart. And Lord, I just ask you to keep doing that. We ask you to keep doing that. Just keep your arms around him and anoint him as a pastor, as a leader, and as a preacher. For these, this committee that's helping move this forward, bless every person involved in that. May every heart be sensitive to your leadership. And as a people, may we begin to ask the question, what do I need to do? What do they need me to do? How can I serve? How can I help? God, what is it you want us to do as a church to be everything you want us to be here so that we can reach people and help them grow in Jesus Christ? We trust you to do that. We look forward to the days ahead. It's going to be so exciting, and yet we know there will be attacks. I mean, we just start talking about it and a microphone goes dead. So we know there's going to be attack on what we're doing and on our pastor. We just trust you. We rest in you and we believe in you as our God, as our Father, as our leader. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. Have a great week, everybody.